I pledge myself to the pod. Loyal I'll always be. A P to start, a D at the end, and an O sitting in between. Welcome back to an Omnia Paratus. I'm Jay, like the letter. And I'm Angela, also known as AVO. Grace is watching me. I feel Grace is laughing hysterically. <laughs> Grace is oh, watching so me. Good. No notes. <laughs> I could see. I didn't like it. I, I don't know why I tried to make eye contact. That was that was shouldn't have done that. I've just Did never seen it happen in person. <laughs> it was exhilarating. Angela go. <laughs> So everyone, as you've heard, we have someone called Grace with us today, but more specifically, this is our friend Grace from college, budding actress, live from New York. She's joining us today. I'm also getting very weird making eye contact with Grace through the camera. So Grace, please introduce yourself to the listeners. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Uh, Yes, my name is Grace McLaughlin. I am a actress. I've been acting professionally for about 10 years. As Angela said, we met where I was uh, getting my bachelor's in theater and I did my graduate studies here in New York at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting and I have stayed and kept acting ever since. Uh, Yeah, and that is my life and history. So basically everyone in approximately 5-10 years, we're going to be watching Grace like live on Broadway, fourth row center, right? Oh yeah. Excellent. 100%. Why fourth row? Front row's not actually the best seats in the house because normally those are the ones you give away for free because they're slightly obstructed. Yeah. So isn't it like fourth row center? That's the best? Yeah. Ideally, you want to be in the middle of the orchestra because when you're an actor on stage, that's where you're naturally going to look. So you'll feel like the actors are looking right at you. And as we could tell from the intro, I already love looking directly at people while (laughs) interacting. So that will be perfect. That's the goal is stare right in their irises as they're having an emotional moment. I remember hearing an interview with Ben Platt when people in those great seats weren't paying attention during Dear Evan Hansen. He would intentionally like spit in that direction Oh, to have people focus a little bit more. There was the iconic he admitted to sneezing on someone in the front row. (gasps) Oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Oh, Ben Platt. (laughs) And I'm sure people from Jonathan Groff and Hamilton also received that spit that we all saw so up close in the Disney Plus production. Oh, yeah. Filmed version. I had a um, sketchy bootleg of Hamilton like way back in the day and you could see Jonathan Groff like clock the person uh, like filming it from their seat and just glared them down. Eyes like a hawk. Ooh. Wait, was that one of the ones from Pornhub? What? No. <laughs> there there was definitely some article going around. It's like you can watch the entirety of Hamilton for free on Pornhub. Ugh, wow. And here I was downloading <laughs> it from LimeWire or something. <laughs> that was how I saw Hamilton. You sent me the version in like 2017. Oh, yeah. I think. That was my main form of currency back in the day, is uh, trading things for the Hamilton bootleg. Oh, my yeah. Lord. Hot commodity. If you guys haven't figured out what we're speaking about today. It's all musicals. Woo! Has anyone seen the Burn For You music video from the unofficial Bridgerton musical? I have not seen it yet. Oh, but the concept album I think came out. It either comes out soon-ish. Comes out either this week or last week. I think it came out last week. And so when I saw the music video, I was like, oh my god, did they get actors? They didn't. It's just... Baron Barlow. Mm-hmm. Abigail Barlow, I think. Yeah. Yes. It's just, it's them in the studio, but it's so great. Yeah. 
I know. I'm like slightly sad that they didn't hire actors because I think I could make a great, whatever the one that's like definitely going to be a lesbian. Eloise. Yes. I could definitely play her. I'm rewatching Bridgerton right now. Oh, Grace, didn't you make a reel as Eloise? I did. I did. And I did the number that Abigail wrote for that character. And she didn't see it. It was devastating. We can link it on our Instagram so more people can flock and Thank try you. to push yes. you to be Eloise in the Bridgerton musical. Blow that shit up. Now that the album is fully made. <laughs> you can just do a few different ones because maybe they don't see you as an Eloise. Maybe they see you as a Penelope. Which one is that? No. I know. I she can't be a Daphne. Penelope either. You could be a Daphne. You can be a Daphne. Maybe. I don't know. I heard that the um the like the Duke is gonna leave, and I just feel like the show is not gonna work without him. If I could see your lips moving, this would be a little easier. Because that's normally our signal. Wait, you can't see me? Mm-mm. Is it just me? No, I can't see you at all. Oh, okay. Oh no. That's why I texted you. I'm like, hey, is it just me? Like, I, I was like, can Grace see you? I'm like, I don't know. Is it my computer or not? Yeah, no, we couldn't see you this whole time. I was just going with it. Can you? Okay. I- That's why when you made the eye contact comment, I'm like, well, it's not like we can see your face. So I don't know what your insecurity is coming from. No, I was just staring very intently at Grace. Got yeah, it. you were like, I'm staring right at you. And I was like, they're all you want. I cannot see you at all. <laughs> all right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better going into this. All right. I'm going yeah, to I'm gonna try I'm to mess with my settings, but not too much because I don't want to get kicked out. Right. So Bridgerton. So the way the show was set up based on the book series is each of the Bridgerton kids would get their own series. So it would be eight seasons or series if you're English mm-hmm. of the show. And in the second book, Daphne and the Duke are not very featured. And hopefully the rumors are true that he's going to be the next Bond. So mm-hmm. at some point, hopefully, I'm sure at some point they'll bring him back in some capacity or they could get him there for a short bit. And also I think Bridgerton had to stop filming in the UK because of COVID restrictions again. Like they were on, then they were off, then they were on. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And this is your weekly reminder for me to get vaccinated, get tested, wear your mask, socially distance, all the things. Because one of the things I very much would like to do is go to Broadway and not have to breathe my own air in and get mask me for two hours. Yes, correct. I just went to my uh, first, uh, I was going to say post-pandemic, but I guess mid-pandemic Broadway show a couple weeks ago. And it was weird being in the theater the whole time. Everybody was masked except for the actors, but still better than nothing. What show is it? It's called Passover. It's a magical realism comedy about police brutality, which you wouldn't think would be possible, uh, but they managed to pull it off and I actually thought it was pretty pretty inspiring. So it had nothing to do with Jewish people? No. I mean, it it references Passover as like kind of in in the Jewish concept of escaping death. Got it. Is there anything else you're really excited to see coming up? Um, I know Waitress is making a revival and that's like one of my favorite shows. So I'm excited to maybe get to come back to it. I also have tickets to see Diana, which is a new musical about Princess Diana, as you might assume. I just Uh, saw that trailer the other day. Yes. Oh, for the movie. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, she's really having a moment. Uh, you know, 20 years after her death, she's really having a moment <laughs> again. Did she ever stop having a moment, though? True. I mean, you know, I feel like our generation didn't really know much about her as kids. And then Crown happened and we're all, you know, really talking about her again. Mm-hmm. I think she died in 96, I believe. I remember yeah. watching her funeral on TV. What? Yeah. 
Weren't you like two, three, five, four? Yeah. I have no memories of her at all. Just like as somebody that, I mean, clearly she was my mom's style icon because she fully had that hair through all of the 90s. I love it. Oh my God. No, I just, I remember, I didn't really understand what was going on with the funeral, but after that I got her commemorative death poster. It was given to my, it was given to my mom by someone at work and then I really liked it. So it was in my room for a while. Yikes. You had a funeral poster. (laughs) Love that. So cute. Incredibly American too. Yeah. Making uh, commemorative posters out of death. Yep. Makes sense. So I don't know a way to really transition. So we're just going to go with Grace. What was your first musical that you ever saw? And play. Um, Theater piece. Whatever you'd like to go with. uh, Probably it was a Gilbert and Sullivan. My parents are like big, big Gilbert and Sullivan fans. They have a Gilbert and Sullivan themed wedding. So I do remember seeing Iolanthe when I was like four or five and really loving it and being excited by it um, and falling asleep in the second act. (laughs) And we we were season ticket holders for Berkeley Rep and we went to a lot of the touring shows in San Francisco. So I completely blame my parents for my love of theater. They really inflicted that by taking us to theater a lot as kids. And for those of us who don't know all you know, can you tell us about this show? I don't know. Is it musical? Is it just a play? Who are these people? Yeah. So Gilbert and Sullivan are sort of the Rodgers and Hammerstein of their time. They wrote operettas, which are sort of between a musical and an opera. They're usually very lighthearted musicals. It's usually along the lines of two people fall in love, but there's something that keeps them apart. And then through a series of songs and two acts, they end up together and they live happily ever after and we all sing a big chorus number. Um, That's usually how it goes for every Gilbert and Sullivan piece. And a lot of them are lovely. Some of them are very racist and we should not do them anymore. Um, But a lot of them are lovely. (laughs) And yeah, that was definitely my introduction to that whole world yeah what was the first show you ever performed in um i think it was the rats of nim i went to opera camp as a little kid i played the violin when i was like six um and my parents sent me to uh it was music and opera camp so we would do like music theory and orchestra in the morning and then we put on an opera in the afternoons it was like a month long and i think that first year was the rats of nim it was either that or the Pied Piper. I think in both shows, though, I played a mouse or a rat. Is <laughs> it because you were small? Probably. I think they had all the little ones. Like, we had little hand puppets and just kind of ran across the stage. But, yeah. And then, you know, years later, we, we did um, – Hansel and Gretel and I was Gretel <laughs> oh so, major flex my and I I do consider that my like catching the bug moment I guess because that was my first like you know really cool lead part I had a song and lots of lines and was like all right this is it this is what I'm doing forever do you remember the song no not at all <laughs> not even a little <laughs> sorry I found a way I was seeing if there was a way for her to get her video back on I think the video is on because I'm seeing your silhouette. It's just very dark. Oh. Oh, I don't see. I just. Oh. Yeah, I'm seeing you moving. Oh, I just saw that too. Are you in the dark? Well, no, there are huge windows in this room. Wait, can you like hold your phone behind your computer screen so I can just see if like that does anything? Oh, see, I didn't even see the shadow until you said that. Oh, hi. Okay. All oh, right. I'm going to oh. turn a light on. <laughs> 
Oh, and you have been, been there. Sitting in the dark. <laughs> I don't know why. This room isn't dark. Like, it's not dark I'm at all. I'm in a windowless dark room. I don't know what's going on. I thought the camera just was off until Gregory said something. <laughs> I was like, huh. Okay. <laughs> Angela. Jeez. Oh, Boomer. No, I'm so confused. Because, okay, now I can see myself and it looks way darker in here than it is, but it's not. Well, at least now we can make we're sure we're not talking me. over you. Yes. I mean, more than we could before. Grace, post catching the bug, were you doing it mostly in school productions? Did you have a lot of like community productions? Any production, every production? Yeah, I'd say after doing it at camp, I started doing choir and then I did musical theater in middle school and high school. I've kind of bopped around and done a little bit of everything. I, I've done Shakespeare. I did improv in college, acapella in college. I was very cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, straight theater, you know, touring shows, kind of a little bit of everything. I remember seeing you in multiple of those. Mm-hmm. I remember the acapella group. I remember spring awakening oh yeah that was i can't tell you the plot of the spelling b1 but i know you had braids and were a little bratty yeah i was i was there i was in it (laughs) i remember the one where you were supposed to be somebody's grandmother yes you guys were the realest because i remember your specifically that you guys came to that during our school concert and i did not expect you would be there because i figured you would be out getting you know <laughs> having a respectful sober time at the concert absolutely always us but no mm. i think that one always stuck out in my mind because you had like this one line it was like talking about your liver that was the size of the football and please somebody oh, yeah. get you a chair because you could just feel it today yeah those were the days <laughs> that was an interesting show because i was the understudy for that mm-hmm they cast two professors at the school as the like adult actors. Wow. Uh, but then cast students as the understudy, I think kind of because they felt like as an academic institution, they should. I don't know. <laughs> It was a time. Interesting. I mean, I feel like your department as a whole was just always very interesting, like from the student perspective, but also from the academic side with professors and advisors and everything, because to graduate, you had to be in a certain number of shows. Yeah. I mean, you could participate in any way you wanted. There mm -hmm. were a lot of people who chose to do like the crew side of things or work in the production team. Um, but yeah, you did have to be, like participate in the main stage productions in some way. In that respect, did you need to audition or is it just that you could sign up for certain areas and you were just like automatically accepted? If you wanted to perform in the shows, you did have to audition. I, um, I auditioned for a show my freshman year and didn't get it and uh, was so scarred by that. I didn't come back for another two years to audition. Um, Uh, But that was fine. You know, I think in retrospect, a lot of first years don't end up getting cast in shows. But yeah, generally, they would, you know, host a regular audition, and then you do a callback, and then they would offer you a role, and then you would get enrolled in that class. Oh, okay. Didn't you also have a costume design class as well? I did. Yeah, we had it was costume making. There was a costume design class and then a costume making class. So Mm -hmm. I didn't get to do any of the like design part of it. But we did learn some like very basic sewing. I think we like sewed a pair of pajama pants. You know, I, I could maybe 
figure out how to use the sewing machine now if I needed to. That's about all the skill that I retained from that class. Your one woman pandemic show over Zoom. I mean, yeah, nowadays with everything on Zoom, I am costume crew, lighting, sound, and performer. So it might happen. For both of you two who work, Grace performing, and then I'm sure also a little bit on the back end of things and Angela who only did theater tech those kind of probably fall into kind of the invisible heroes of jobs and things that people don't think about so could you guys like elaborate a little bit more on like obviously it's important and we need those people to make theater happen but I think people focus mostly on like the talent and like what they can see Mm -hmm. so if you guys want to go into a bit of like all it takes to make that make a show happen yeah Angela if you want to take it my experience is mainly limited to high school shows, but um, I do have some people in my extended family who work pretty extensively like in theater, like in tech crews and in costume design. And so they've kind of like built on a little bit of what I experienced, but there are so many people behind the scenes that you honestly like would never know that they're there because it's their job for you to not know because everything that they execute is just so flawless with like the perfect timing seamless transitions Mm -hmm. is what literally makes theater seem like magic so in my experience I did makeup sound and quick changes Mm, very important oh my god so grace i don't know have you ever had anyone quick change you yet i have yes it is terrifying (laughs) oh my god so yeah so i was i was 16 and because i was doing sound they were like oh okay you can do the quick changes as well um because you're on the boys dressing room side they have a couple numbers where they have to like run in and out really fast so literally when someone quick changes you they help you undress and then get redressed so here I was just like taking off these like boys I had math class with like pants and like unbuttoning their shirt and like helping them get everything like pulled on again rebuttoned and then just like sending them out the door back on stage so like literally stripping down to their underwear and then back into new clothes wow Angela (laughs) an experience Gives you good practice for later in life. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Boys have Um, some really complicated buttons in weird places sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I think also from my perspective now doing these Zoom shows, you really get a sense of like how vitally important those people are. I cannot even tell you how many tech mishaps I've had just trying to do everything on my own now. I just did, not just, but a few months ago I did a uh, pirate musical and like midway through that I had the like backing track for the music up and it was like getting to my big number and I heard my phone which was what I was playing the backing tracks off of disconnect from my Bluetooth speaker and then it immediately reconnected but I don't know if you guys' phone does this but mine when it connects to a speaker automatically starts playing from my iTunes (laughs) (laughs) we were like in the middle of the scene and then you just hear like no I'm in a Blasting Ariana Grande. Oh my god. Yeah. See, mine was always the A team by Ed Sheeran because it would go alphabetically by song. Mm, That's what mine would always connect to. No, mine would always default to whatever, like that U2 album or Coldplay album that Apple put on everyone's phone or iPod or whatever. Why did they pick those albums? Right? It was an accident. Like it was a lawsuit. Like Apple got sued for that happened. (laughs) Really? I saw something about that recently. Wow. That's hilarious. Oh, everybody hates that album. (laughs) 
takes a village. It really does. Mm -hmm. And I think like my one cool, like super cool claim to fame here is that through these family connections, I got to go backstage for the Lion King when they were touring in San Francisco. And that was so cool. So they were showing me how like the animals worked and everything. And we got to look at the costumes and see the makeup. It was just like, Mm. it made the childhood experience because it's like, it's one thing to see it. And we had, we had pretty good seats for that too. Like we were on the orchestra level, like close enough that the birds and everything were like over our heads when they were waving them around. Wow. So like yeah. that was really cool, just like seeing it and then seeing like this is how it all happens. Yeah, that is such a cool show to see the backstage aspects of it too, because it's such a technical show. Mm-hmm. But Grace, so not everyone knows this, but you graduated in 2020. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you made yeah. your foray into the acting world in the middle of our pandemic. Yeah, at the very start, actually, which is worse. We were <laughs> literally like 10 days out from our official like graduation date. Mm-hmm. We had like our final round of shows and then graduation and that was it. Uh, and we never got to perform those like in the theater. And yeah, you know, they kind of were just like, all right, well, eh, you know, that, that was close enough. You're, you're basically done. Go on. Go off. Be an actor now. And we were all like, uh, can we can we stay a little bit longer? I'm not ready. Seems like the industry's not ready yet. But, you know, we were kind of thrust out into the non-industry as it was, which was really weird. I think for a while, a lot of us felt this like collective depression. I know I felt like going straight from undergrad into grad school, I never really had a chance to kind of do the professional actor thing after kind of revving up to it for seven years. And then you finally get there and there's no industry to speak of. But that only lasted a few months. And then I think people figured out how to do alternatives. And in a way, I think there ended up being more opportunities in that because it's a lot easier to put on a Zoom production with other collaborators that you know than it would be to you know, rent a theater space and sell enough tickets to uh, pay for the rental and all that. If you can just do something on Zoom, it's still credit they can put on your resume and there will be filmed footage of it that you can put on your reel and it's free. So how does one go about like finding a Zoom production? Like is, were there still like casting calls in a sense or is it really just working with other people that you know, word of mouth? A little bit of both. I found some things through, there's um I know Allie talked about this on when she was on there are like websites for casting but I'd say primarily in the beginning in that first six months to a year it was almost entirely people that I went to school with or you know had done other kind of artistic collaborations together and you know people would be like oh yeah I'm doing a pirate musical (laughs) do you want to audition and that sort of thing which you know I think kind of gets a bad rap as oh well you didn't really earn it if it's just your friend but I think people don't necessarily realize like that's how it is a in every industry and be like even at the highest levels I mean take Dear Evan Hansen as an example we all fully understand that like a big part of why Ben Platt is that role is because of his father producing it doesn't mean that he's not talented or isn't gonna do a great job but uh you know that's just how it works I think definitely and I feel like that's something that everyone can relate to but it seems more often than not people pick and choose when they really 
want to recognize it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's interesting to me that that in particular is getting a lot of bad press because, you know, (laughs) like I implore people to look at any big name in Hollywood and trace it back. Like almost everybody has a relative who, you know, made it big before them and helped pave the way. So yeah, I think unfortunately, I think Ben Platt's sort of being singled out for a symptom of a much larger problem in the entire industry. But I guess that's how it goes. I saw this video on Taylor Swift's rise to fame and something that they brought up and were speaking about is both of her parents were either investment bankers or one I think ran it and the other was just an investment maker. So although they had no ties to the music industry at all, they could afford to fly her to Tennessee, LA. They could take the time off. She could take the time off from school because her education would be occurring. So even though it's not a direct link, such as like Mark Platt to Ben Platt, there are a lot of ways to be given an advantage, especially like in the creative industries that I don't think people necessarily would see like, oh, like Taylor Swift made it on her own. It's like, she did. She's a talented songwriter. She can convert. She has can get the seats and fill the stadiums. But to get that start, if her parents were hypothetically working minimum wage jobs to do it, she wouldn't have had that freedom of time, which is essential, I would say, when doing something in a creative field to get any sort of recognition and traction to get off the ground. Exactly. And I think that is another thing that people don't realize is like, you know, for a lot of creative people, I'm, you know, dealing with this right now of how how do you maintain a creative career and still have health insurance? And it's really hard. And, um, you know, people who are just struggling to make ends meet, that's not a very viable option in the long term. So unfortunately, a lot of people, despite endless amounts of talent, just aren't able to pursue a career in music or in performing simply because of financial aspects. So yeah, having a parent that can fully support you is really key. And then also finding if you are having a traditional job, that's why a lot of people are bartenders and waiters and things because it's not like casting calls are like, oh, like we know actors are working jobs. So we're going to have casting calls from like 5 to 7 p.m. It's, oh no, like when the casting agents are free. So if it's like 11.30 on a Monday and you want to be in the show or you want to have a chance, you got to get there at 11.30 on Monday, which to do both and have any sort of mental health, I feel like can't really collaborate. Exactly. And I mean, here in New York, there I, I think it's possible the days of cattle calls are over, but there used to be these things for Broadway shows called cattle calls um, where basically anyone <laughs> delusional enough to think that they were going to get cast in a Broadway show could come and audition. Um, and I knew people who literally would stand in line for days like three days and not be seen. Like eventually they would just come out and be like, all right, we've seen enough people. Goodbye. And yeah, somebody who's working full time, they can't do that. And they might miss an opportunity. Which I mean, frankly, to me, at least that shows me like there's definitely some sort of like power trip going on here. Because why are you making it so difficult for people to find your projects? And then also on the flip side for the people who consume them and demand that things like be excellent for the like, money or time that they're committing to it. It's like, how can you expect excellence when you're putting people through the ringer? A hundred percent. And um, 
the sort of big debate going on right now amongst actors is the stage actors union recently announced that the like parameters to join the union they're they're basically just going to get rid of all of them and anybody who's ever been paid to act in any capacity can now join the union and a lot of people are saying this is awesome like they basically said we're doing this to level the playing field and allow for more people to be part of the professional union and I think there's merit in that and there will be a lot of people who are able to join but unfortunately it does mean that you're not necessarily going to be giving more opportunities to people of color you're just creating longer lines now in the same way of like yeah if everybody gets to audition for every show but there's still the same number of roles for people of color it's actually it becomes more competitive for those people and essentially it's just a big money grab for the unions I know we're gonna get into representation a little bit more but kind of I think something that is in every industry but I think entertainment is like kind of like the biggest one is like the dream you get discovered on the street and then you get put into a movie and then you go from being an unknown to being like the biggest name and I think it happens just enough that I don't want to say people are delusional but I think it happens just enough that it doesn't seem as unattainable as it truly is for people and I think particularly with entertainers it's it's so hard because there are so many talented people and so many people who either are naturally talented work on their talent or a combination of both and thinking of it not like oh I'm pro like terrible casting and biased systemic casting but it's like I'm sure a good 80% of people who audition for things have the acumen to to play the role and because there are just so many people striving for the dream the casting people do get to be pickier because even if you see like four people of color who would be great for like a certain role you get to pick which one you like and then it does go to things like injustices like colorism past performance which goes into wealth which goes into your previous work experience which goes into your amount of time in the industry based on celebrity casting which a lot of things do terribly because at the end Broadway like everything is an industry it wants to make money it needs to make money to sustain so it's not like most systems like the entire thing is fucked from head to toe it's not like one area can fix without the other it needing to ripple to everything else because like you said okay everyone can join the union now but like how does that ripple and impact everything else going on or not exactly the same but I'm sure you guys heard about the Scarlett Johansson Black Widow Disney plus money that people are saying there and Disney's basic response was you ungrateful person like you should just be happy like people in COVID are in a pandemic and like you're trying to ask us for more money and my kind of stance on that is if Black Widow Scarlett Johansson being the actor no matter how you think of her talent or anything being the actor actress she is and the way she gets paid in Hollywood if she can't get that money and she can't fight those contracts how is any person and entertainer lower than her on the totem pole gonna get anything close to that if she can't even reach that with her backing that she has yeah a hundred percent well no to speak to the points that you both brought up in terms of like increased general accessibility but not necessarily the increased number of roles for all I'm curious Grace if you've heard more people speak about non-traditional casting within New York theater scene and then also if you are familiar with the 
the work that the AAPAC does. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a super expert in the field, but I can speak to kind of the conversation going on, um, which I think, yeah, there is definitely a push to include more people of color on Broadway. I think the larger transition that's going to take a little longer is including people of color in every facet of producing these shows, including, you know, the people who pick what shows are going to be on Broadway and the people who cast them and the people who write those shows and write the music for those shows. Right now, pretty much across the board, that aspect of it is like 99.9% white people and usually white men. Um, It's great to have more actors of color getting to be up on stage. But I think right now, a lot of those actors of color are, uh, you know, performing roles that were not written specifically for actors of color and they don't represent their experience so hopefully in the next few years we'll actually be able to see more shows like Passover for example which was a show written by a black woman for black actors that speaks to the black experience. Grace correct me if I'm wrong and I probably am when I kind of heard the big breaking down Broadway and systemic thing was with that one I don't I think it's the music man with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster that kind of the person who was producing that or whatever that's when I kind of started really hearing like the rumblings of Broadway and granted I'm sure it's been going on for years but do you know what like kind of like what might have led to that and these conversations uh in general I would say a lot of the the you know bullshit that you're hearing from Hollywood exists in theater as well um it's just sort of painted over there's definitely more I would say LGBTQ plus acceptance in the theater community but unfortunately that's now become like a way that people can just kind of deflect from the conversation and say like oh well you know Tony's so inclusive and theaters theater so accepting of everybody and um, I think you've just seen a growing number of people really being able to speak out and speak to the fact that that is not not true at all and we have a long way to come wasn't there an actress of color who said she wouldn't work again until this person was thrown off the production yes that was karen olivo i think is her name hold on i'm googling it right now karen olivo um yeah she was in the original cast of in the heights as well as west side story and i think when that happened she was in moulin rouge or chicago one of those But yeah, she did say, I will not be coming back until we can create a more equitable industry, which is amazing. And unfortunately, very, very few white actors in the position that she is in took that stance. Uh, A lot of them, you know... (laughs) gave her heart emojis on Instagram, but did not take any sort of actual action. Um, So it's unfortunate that, you know, female person of color is going to step away and we're not going to get to hear her voice. Um, And it makes a big statement, but we need a lot more other people to join her in that cause. I feel like what theater is bringing up even more than Hollywood, because I feel Hollywood is very general. Theater was kind of known for like being more friendly to marginalized groups and doing things. And like you were saying, very, and in some respects they have been, but I think kind of the pushback we're seeing is from people who kind of got complacent in their activism, their education. And now that it's impacting something that they love so much, it's like, wait, like, no, like theater doesn't need to change. Like I understand why Hollywood needs to change and why these things need to change. But now that like you're impacting something that like I love so much and that I hold so much respect for, like, 
we're fine over here. Go back to Hollywood and fix those problems. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, it's it's harder thing for people to access. So I think it's less of a conversation because there's a lot of people out there who don't get to see live theater. A big thing that I've uh, worked on in undergrad and in grad school was theater outreach. And I was, you know, touring around underprivileged neighborhoods in LA when we were out in SoCal and prisons in New York. Um, and for a lot of people, I was performing what would be the their very first experience with live theater. And it's really mind boggling because to me, it's such a vital part of my existence. But there's so many people out there who view theater as being this sort of like, elitist unattainable thing for them um, and it shouldn't be like that when I was doing some research into this because I was a little curious because I keep up generally with the musicals and plays that I like and I'd like to try to stay current with what the season is here in San Francisco but I'm definitely not as knowledgeable as you two so I wanted to make sure I had my facts straight coming into this but I'm one still of the like things- an eighth as much as Grace knows. <laughs> True, fair. I think most people in our regard are an eighth as much as Grace knows. But you know, I gotta, I gotta try to come to the table prepared. Yes, so- we love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading through some articles, and there was an interesting one that when they were trying to initially collect the demographic information for actors in New York, they couldn't really find any because it was all about um, self-reporting. But they did actually mm. seem to be keeping very detailed records of who was attending plays and musicals, Mm -hmm. which I found pretty interesting because I don't know if I've ever been asked when I've bought a ticket to release my demographic information. So I wonder how exactly that's being collected and why they're keeping such strict tabs on it. But then of course, because they they had that information, you can look at it. And I think it was like 78% of Broadway viewers in I think 2015 were white. Yeah, It's an astoundingly small margin of people of color who are like actively viewing live productions. And that's Broadway numbers. Broadway in New York City, which is one of the most diverse cities in the United States numbers, Mm -hmm. not even including touring companies or anything else, correct? Right. Just within New York City. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how they get that information, but I definitely, I remember studying that in undergrad of like what the populations are. And yeah, it's no surprise to me that it's almost 80% white people. I mean, when you're charging a hundred dollars a ticket there's a lot of people who are not going to be willing to shell out that kind of money for two hours of their life um, especially when you can go see a movie for twenty dollars i also think it's interesting that about two-thirds of broadway audiences are women but we still tend to tell stories that center around men because what are our lives if not stories about men (laughs) obviously but you know you look at the you know the shows that are very successful like uh wicked which is a show about two women and i would even argue hamilton which has you know two women kind of at the center and they are play a big part in that storyline and those are the shows that are successful and i think I think there is beginning to be part of Broadway that understands like this is what people want. We want stories about people of color. We want stories about women. We want stories about not old white dudes, please. <laughs> I think what you said is really eye-opening because I actually am completely the opposite of the normal. Like I stopped going to the movies because if I don't go to the movies twice and I'm someone who always needs an icy and popcorn and maybe a snack, maybe like a sweet, <laughs> but I'm more of like an icy and popcorn person. Red and blue mixed actually. But I would wow. forego going to the movies because I knew in two to 
three movies, I could get a show ticket. And I would much rather give money to live theater than to the movies. But I also grew up going not just to plays and musicals, I have actors in my family, but going to art museums, being exposed to art. And I don't like saying art and culture because I feel like that phrase is like gate kept and like ruined. But I was exposed to the creative arts very young and it was nurtured and it was valued. At my school, they would bring in the symphony and each week they would bring in a different group. So they hear the bass instruments here, like whatever the flute instruments are, clearly didn't stick very much, but I had the exposure to it. And I think that is where it starts is just getting the exposure and like from then on like I can't sing to save my life but I love going to musicals and I found other people who do too and I think it's something that can definitely get nurtured you have to be given the chance and I think that's one of the things that's really great about collectively like the creative arts right now because I'm not sure if either of you have been but like the San Francisco Symphony they do um, movie nights so they'll play the live score to movies and usually they only do one or two a year this year I think they're doing seven and they're all in different genres yeah so I think that's one of the great things that people are doing right now to help broaden horizons like internally but also just to make it seem like a little bit more accessible and less scary for others and then I'm not sure about all places right now but one of my cousins he actually now works to chair I don't remember the museum but it's a really big one in LA and he runs their entire educational process so like when they bring kids in or when they go to schools it's how to connect with them and bring them in and make it seem like less of like a stuffy scary place Mm -hmm. oh that's so good yeah I think a lot of it starts with young people and just exposing them to art exposing them to live performance young so they don't have that concept of Mm -hmm. theater as being stuffy or elitist um but yeah and I think we're all very lucky in that way because I think we all went to our first musicals like before seven Mm -hmm. I think the thing also which is a hard balance is kind of like the gatekeeping of theater from all sides. So for example, one of the things of celebrity casting, Nick Jonas was in Les Mis. If someone wanted to go to Les Mis to see Nick Jonas, it, it's a way to expose people. And that's like, I don't personally like, meh, but I think it's kind of a thing of like a balancing those things. When seeing movie musicals, oh, well, you didn't see it live or People who will see, I didn't realize it went to this level, but people who are like, oh, well, you saw it with the touring company versus you don't fly to New York every season to just go see every show. Like you, you dare to see a touring company do it. And then I also feel like that's really disrespectful to the actors because any actor, any working actor who's doing a show doing their hardest. So why... Is it like, oh, well, it's not like, not even that. It's like, it's not, not only not on Broadway, it's not the original Broadway cast. Like, sorry, we can't all like see Hamilton before it gets popular for every single show that opens on Broadway. Oh, yeah. I, I'm i not even at that level of like, you know, seeing the big shows before they're popular. <laughs> I'm I'm there watching the Tonys with everybody else. Like, yeah. There's, there's always tears to the elitism, for sure. You know, I saw Angels in America, which had Andrew Garfield in it. And, you know, a lot of people might say, like, that's annoying, like, celebrity casting. Like, really, you're going to put Andrew Garfield in there. But he, like, tore it up out there and left no crumbs. And he even said, he was like, 
people are coming to their very first Broadway show because they want to see Spider-Man, that's great. Like Angels in America is an incredible show. And so if people get even a tiny piece of that because of the celebrity casting, then I think that's positive for everyone. So is now not the time to share my hot take that I did not like Christy Brinkley in Chicago? (laughs) Oh, Chicago is absolutely ruthless with their celebrity casting. So I don't doubt it. And then similarly, like Andrew Garfield now is, I think, Tick, Tick, Boom is the musical he's doing for Netflix. Like mm-hmm. that's the other thing of like movie musicals or like Grease Live, Sound of Music Live, a limbo between like, I was so annoyed when Rent Live happened and they had to show the night before because the guy like broke his leg. I was like, really? You had one job. You had one job for the next night, which is to to perform. Yeah. When they say break a leg, they don't mean literally. <laughs> I heard this thing where it's like, they say like break a leg because like, of casts like getting into a cast like I don't know I I feel like every like old acting professor I've ever had tells you a different version of that where they're like oh what it actually means is in the olden days it was about breaking the leg of the stage that's what I've heard (laughs) it's like oh something so like you were so good you wrecked the stage (laughs) I think so maybe it was something like (laughs) If people like applaud hard enough, it will break the stage. So it was like, break a leg, like do so good. <laughs> I don't know. Another thing that shows, well, I don't know how many shows are doing. So like, this is like one anecdote from one experience. I'm now making a generalization on. Um, When I went to London and we saw A Midsummer Night's Dream in the round, they like modernized it. Like they did the single ladies dance. They changed out some of the words and things like, I like, I love when they do that. <laughs> It was my first time abroad. I like my uncle is like a huge Shakespeare buff. Like he has like as like original copies of like all of the plays. Like as you can get, he collects them. He like did Shakespeare like my entire child. I like the purity. Like and I was like I was a little disappointed, but also I'm in London seeing a theater show in the round. Like I'm not going to complain. But I think it's another way they're doing outreach because like Angela (laughs) loves that and loves when shows do that, and it makes it more. We need to really come up with a better word for relatable since we don't like it on this show. I know. Even accessible is mildly problematic. Well, I mean, I don't even know if it makes it relatable, but to me, I like that these stories that we've had forever can continue to change and evolve and we can gain new perspectives from them. Because I feel like even in that sense, like there's, there's so much rigidity to some of the stories that we're getting like for example Hamilton just left here in San Francisco and it's going to be replaced by My Fair Lady a ton of people currently are like putting out opinion pieces that they don't want to see another retelling of traditional My Fair Lady because they don't like the gender norms and essentially the abuse that is just rampant throughout it and so Mm. I feel like it's not necessarily about not telling these stories anymore but reimagine it. Give me a story where the last line isn't Eliza, where are my damn slippers? But she says, get your own damn slippers. Yeah. Just like some little things to just kind of like turn them on their heads and give us something new or some big things. Give me a single ladies dance. I'm here for it. I think both can exist. I don't think some super problematic things in both ways should exist. 
-hmm. But I think I, I'm big on like history, like appreciating things in the form in which they were created. I'm all for modernizing and updating and things, but I think like for some things like both can and should still exist. If what's going to bring people in are the modern retellings, but then also like being able to appreciate things for the way that they were created for the time they were. These aren't speaking to like the super big like racial and abuse and Dumbo. Like I don't think we need to re I think like if Dumbo got a remake, like we shouldn't do the way we did Dumbo, but I think didn't Dumbo get a remake? It did, but it was it more did. about like the, there were kids in the circus. They got rid of the crows. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Like there are ways to to update and and then even over the original Dumbo production and a lot of Disney's things, there's like a disclaimer before like this was made in blah 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 time without blah blah blah. Give us your money. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I saw that. I was watching Peter Pan the other day. And not surprisingly, they're like, this movie's super racist. Warning. I've never seen Peter Pan. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of uh, disrespect towards the Native American community. Like, I I totally agree with you. And I think that... No, I totally agree with you. And I think that both should exist. But I think that there's just... Within the people who have the ability to fund and produce such productions there's not a lot of expansive thinking going on and i'd like to see more of it i don't know did either of you or both of you watch the gossip girl reboot on hbo not yet i'm waiting until i can see it all together okay well something that i heard i'm pretty sure it's true angela you can fact check this whenever you get back to that there was i'm pretty sure a black queer play that everyone in the show goes to to watch perform and i don't know their pronouns but they are now getting a real show on broadway because of like the thing around the gossip girl thing and it's a i will say what i know for sure is it is a non-white creator of theater who is now getting something from the placement in the gossip girl reboot yes i love it wow there you go give people opportunities grace i don't remember if you'll give the same answer or when we were sitting in the mall hanging out and i was asking asking about how a lot of people were talking about audition songs and songs that people just should not sing and Mm -hmm. my like less educated slash not as like in this realm kind of thinking was like well like certain songs just have certain ranges to them and like if you want to like highlight your talents like it's just like an audition song and you gave a really great answer as to like why that's not a great line of thinking yeah basically the rule of thumb is you know if you are going to do a song that maybe you sound amazing in typically a a lot of those songs you know like people say don't do let it go because everyone will be kind of humming along in their head and the version that they're hearing is Adina Menzel and if you really think you are way better than Adina Menzel go for it but a lot (laughs) of people aren't so, you know, it's like if you can set yourself up to not be compared to somebody at the top of their game, that's probably for the best, you know. So the lesser known songs that people aren't necessarily going to be comparing you to the Patti LuPones of the world is a safer choice. But I also think, you know, if a song really speaks to you and you can tell a story with it, then that's really what's most important. I remember like the example we were talking about was, and I'm telling you from Dream Girls as to why non-Black people should not sing it. Yes. Oh my God. I've really seen some horrifying renditions of 
white girls trying to sing that song. And uh, I mean, there's there's so many reasons why, uh, but mainly being just pick any other musical. <laughs> there are so many musicals written for and about white women. Just pick one of those songs. You can do it. Um, and also, you know, that song is like about this charismatic African-American woman. It's musical theater. It's not just how well you can sing the song. It's also like you're acting it. And if you cannot speak at all to what that life experience is, there is no way you are going to be able to act it better than somebody who's lived that their entire life. Here, here. <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> I know you really just did a mic drop. I don't even remember where I'm supposed to go from there. <laughs> Did you watch Ratatouille the musical? Oh my or god. The musical? I, I didn't. I couldn't get a ticket fast enough. But I did see all the like TikToks that they made of the individual numbers. So I feel like I've seen it. That's another form that people are doing. TikTok musicals as we referred to Bridgerton earlier, which was just the concept album. But that's like mm-hmm. another great example of Barlow and Bear got signed to XYZ very large talent agencies because of like their fame on TikTok. Again, exactly. two young women, youth, young people also need to be more actively participating. Yeah. And I mean, the tides are changing in that sense. And that I think, you know, you are fighting an algorithm a little bit on social media. But I, you know, I know people who've managed to get a considerable following just from posting all the time and being consistent about it. And, um, you know, the agents and managers that I've talked to have quite literally said, you know, right now with the industry kind of uh, only like half started up right now, the main demo graphic that they're signing is people from TikTok. So that's crazy. I know. I think social media is helping and then I don't want to say hurting entertainment, but I think like with, I mean, social media, the reason it's powerful is because you get analytics right then and there for who's watching, how's watching. Like, I'm sorry. He's all about the music, not the musical. He's all about the movie with a lovely large TikToker who I don't need to name. I could not stop. I'm sorry. Hot take. This will be a hill I will die on. And this, if I'm sorry, Angela, if our podcast is sent here, she cannot act. She maybe can act. That's not day. a hot take. I think that's the general consensus. I know. Like she cannot act. Like there was one scene where she was supposed to like he was telling the lead actress about like a story about like how his like mom died and she kind of just looked confused. And I was like, you're not connecting. You're not doing things. And I think I'm sure millions and millions and millions of people watch the movie. She has a hundred and sixty some odd followers and like that's like the thing now which I think is finding that balance of following and talent and I feel like we need to like be very careful I feel like we're so like instant gratification now where it's like oh well this person has a lot of followers like let's give them a movie it's like there are so many people who train in this and do it professionally such as our lovely guest Grace and who do it (laughs) so well that like let's hire them and then it's also like it's symbiotic because Grace does well and when she wins her Tony and tells us thank you on her speech she'll like get from there you can hire people to get famous not just take people who are already famous and think that that means talent and when this podcast blows up you guys will help me you know book a top tier agent yes only (laughs) We will. We'll do everything. We'll do anything. All right. Sounds good. It's a deal. All the plugs for Grace. Yes. (laughs) Just get me like a sugar bear hair deal. That's all I want. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Gotta, well, we'll, this we'll is like a completely different tangent, but I feel like across the board, I just I feel like my heart goes out to people who are trying to make it creatively on social media mm-hmm. because I have mm-hmm. like I don't follow a lot of influencers. I follow 3. There's one I absolutely love. Her name is Alicia Tanise and her follower <laughs> Angela just make a fan page. Just make a fan I, page. I'm going to I'm going to have to. I really am going to have to because like her follower count has dropped significantly. She got dropped from a bunch of brand endorsements because they were like, you don't have enough followers. We're not seeing results from you. And she's really big into wine. She hosts a wine Wednesday. She's gone to wine school. She's like working on being a trained sommelier. She knows a ton about it. She is actually like perfect person to do this for everyone, but she doesn't have the engagement. And I feel really bad because I can't engage with her because I don't drink wine. I do engage with her, but I can't actually meaningful engage with her and use her product code. I mean, feel free mm. to send Grace and I wine. Yeah, I'll <laughs> use her code. Yeah, I might I might have to do that. Just send everyone wine for Christmas using her code. Oh my God. Wow. That's actually not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. That's Tan- crazy tangent though. over. <laughs> I've heard that. I mean, I've literally been in audition scenarios where they're like, all right, thank you so much for coming in. And before you go, how many Instagram followers you have? And you're like, oh. it matters because unfortunately it creates traffic and puts butts in seats. And at the end of the day, that's what people care about. I have heard from another woman I know who acts. She's she's older than you. She's in her 50s and she just got signed by a new agent. And he's like, number one thing before I'm even going to book you, he's like, I'm sending you to social media classes. So she has to go to social media school three nights a week for two hours where she and other people learn how to make reels and engage and build their follow- build their followers up. He's like, you're not going to book anything with less than 10,000. Oh my God. Yeah. It's it's insane. And just like, yeah. is that is that what we've come to? We're really gonna place yes. just yes. yes and there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I follow um Deanna Giletti, I think is her name. Oh, She's like a pretty her. big Instagram influencer, TikTok person. Um, and I took one of her like classes once. It was like, you know, social media for actors because she's like a musical theater actress. And she literally said like, it is a full time job. You have to post 10 stories a day and like three to five feed posts and like seven reels per week. It's like insane the amount of work that goes into it. But she was like, I in a year went from like scrounging for roles and having to you know beg people just to get auditions to now she's offer only she gets to make her own career she gets to decide the work that she wants to do and it's like oh god damn it like I so didn't want to be on board I so didn't want to do it but when you put it in those terms you're like after only a year you're like in that position it's hard not to want it I know you've seen some of her TikToks because what she start I mean I don't know if this is what this is where I started I found her on TikTok she would she would bring up her musical theater background and that she was a struggling actress in New York and all these but like what really built her following was she was trying to get on Matt James's season of The Bachelor oh. yes so she was like really actively like trying to like be like, like she did like 25 like TikToks in a row of why I should be on Matt James season of The Bachelor, like why I want to go on. And she was doing it again for this season and for Paradise. You can see her like acting in them. Obviously, like she's very like over the top about it, but it's like it built the following enough that people now like care about her career and care about the other things too. So Grace, just continue with those lovely ads you started doing on your Instagram and we'll see where they go. 
Yeah, that's my theory. So I'm just going to start promoting my friends' things, and then eventually real brands will start picking it up. I mean, honestly, worst comes to worst, we can all rock, paper, scissors it, and one of us has to go on The Bachelor. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd do it. I'd do it. I mean, I don't definitely don't want to get engaged. Definitely don't want them to meet my parents. <laughs> but, like, far enough that I can get, Villains you know. go home week five or six, so you could make it pretty far. Yes. Honestly, I feel like that would be how I would do it because you just got to think some of those villains, like, that's a strategy. They mm-hmm. are, they have to be doing it on purpose to continue being on the show. Unlike Angela, I don't transition anything very well, but something I'd like to speak about now that live theater and some capacity is opening up again. I didn't realize every show did this, is stage dooring after shows mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's fun. It's where you can like stand outside typically in the cold because I go to shows at night and hope like actors will like come and sign things and take pictures they're different degrees and also like stage drawing is not part of an actor's contract they do it to be nice so can you give us some do's and don'ts of stage dooring um i can try i'm honestly very awkward when it comes to stage dooring i am not cool enough that people want my autograph yet <laughs> but the ones that i have done usually they're very gracious i would say like etiquette just like say hello like greet them before you ask something of them whether it be like sign this or take a selfie with me and some of them will also say like like security guard outside will be like okay someone so is about to come out they don't want to do selfies so don't ask um and just respect their roles you know it's just like they're people they're they're actors they're probably very boring (laughs) they're probably just trying to go home because they've got to come back and do this all again tomorrow but I actually remember I went with our sorority sister Brooke I don't know if we've talked about how I know you guys (laughs) we went to college together yeah we went to college we were in the inner sorority together and yeah I went with our sorority sister Brooke to see oh cursed child yeah cursed child um and she apparently like stage doors every time so she was like all right show's over let's go to the stage door immediately i was like oh okay (laughs) she was very good at it she's like a very charismatic person so they like immediately came over to her and were like hey and started like having a little conversation with her and i'm just there like hello i'm so sorry i'm sure this is annoying for you bye you're like i know you've been acting for seven hours it's a lot yeah i feel like i feel more their like exhaustion and probably the level of just like emotional drain so I'm like it's fine we don't have to talk you can go <laughs> have a good night Angel have you staged door? I never have but I feel like it might go along the ways of when we met Flynn Rider in Disneyland where someone might come up to me and attempt to hold a conversation and I just stand there starstruck and as soon as they turn away I'd then yell at them <laughs> is that really what happened yeah oh my god we weren't expecting it he just popped up right next to his wanted poster in Disneyland and was like, do you think I look like this guy? I don't know. I think they got the nose wrong. Totally doesn't look uh-huh. like me. And he just, he riffed for maybe a minute and a half and then was like, okay, bye. And he turned around and I was like, <laughs> wait! <laughs> wait, hold on. Before you, wait, before, before you get to, because I know you want, I'm sure you want to get to the end of that story. But the one interjection is we were told by one of like the lovely guards around them, a castmate, that, mm-hmm. hey, if you wait a few minutes, Flynn Rider might come by. It's not, and so we were waiting there intentionally. Like we were told Flynn Rider could show up. Just when the lovely tall man steps in and like 
has the sparkly eyes and the nice smile, it's a little disarming. Mm. Well, I'm sure you want to, do you want to finish the story? I'm sure you want to oh. finish the story. So I yelled at him, hey, wait, can we have a picture with you? We took a picture. <laughs> I was completely flustered. I was supposed to get on one side of him. Jay was on the other. I ended up getting on her side. Because we had two other friends. You thought yeah, it would be a two and I, a two. I, yeah, I, I assumed that everyone was getting in the photo. They did not. So we have this lovely photo that exists of Flynn Rider, Jay, and me on her other side. And then the photo that exists on Instagram, which is Flynn Rider, Jay, and me cropped out. <laughs> it's back when Instagram, like, made you do the photo with the borders. So mm. it, like, just looked it, – it fit perfectly, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. The but real photo no, exists. It, it like, it we, I didn't delete it. I have I have a physical copy of it. She's it's, in it. It's in the universe. Yeah, I used to get very starstruck of the like Disney character performers. Something about that is it's it's more real to me. I'm like, <laughs> okay, but just especially Flynn Rider. I also matched oh. with one of the Flynn Riders on Tinder, and he started messaging me, and I just I couldn't oh. message back. Because I was like, it's happening again. Oh my god, you should send him to me. Wait, how did you know he was one of the Flynn Riders? Uh, he looked just like Flynn Rider and was like character actor at Disney um, oh. on the weekends. And I was just like, yeah, you're Flynn Rider. There's oh, no wow. way you're anyone else. I know. I'm like, is this how guys feel like when they find out a girl's a Disney princess? No. Probably not. Oh. And if they do, it's uh, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Ew. Oh my gosh. But Grace, you're bringing up the cursed child brings me back to mm-hmm. my sadness. So the cursed, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is one of the few productions that will be returning to San Francisco in 2022, but they've reimagined it for North America. So in Europe, what? you'll still get the six to seven hour production, but in the United it's States and hours? Canada, it, it's really long and there's the intermission in between. Well, it's it's like a full – you can either see it over the course of two days or, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like they give you like a three-hour gap to go get lunch or something. Yeah, it's it's really long. But in North America, so in the U.S. and Canada, they've reimagined it, so it's just three hours all the way through. What? Immediate yeah. gratification. Welcome. I'm so sad. So I got – my mom got me the tickets for my birthday in 2019, so we were going to see it in March 2020, of course. Oh, Dang. Oh yeah. So I'm I'm wow. still gonna see it, but now I need to go to London. I'll go. I love Nando's. Let's do it. That's so crazy. Yeah. I wonder was, what they cut out. I know. It's we're gonna have to compare notes. But I had Cursed Child tickets, The Book of Mormon, and Hamilton, all for March and April in 2020. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know Girl. Hades Town is coming this season. Oh, I'm very excited one. for that. I still haven't seen Hades Town. It's definitely up on my list. But it's still so expensive. Mm-hmm. Again, like like with going to the theater, I mean, similar to going to comedy shows or going to anything live, you have to know what you're doing. Well, I typically get them like as soon as tickets go on sale, like three to six months in advance. And if like you don't have the lifestyle where you can reliably know what you're doing three to six months in advance, that's definitely like a disadvantage. Like my typical calendars from like January to March, I'm booking things for fall because I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Like I want to see like my Hanukkah gift for a while every year as I get to go to some sort of live performance, whether it be a concert or a show or something. But I was booking those tickets in March for November and like if you don't know what you're doing like if you can't like buy food I don't think like and it's you know like your paycheck's coming from like you can't decide like oh yeah in October I'll I'm sure I'll have time to like book these tickets and like 
follow through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I was just going to say a lot of times you're also booking for other people. So you also have to, you know, know what your spouse is doing or what your kids are going to be doing. And it just gets more complicated the more people there are. I was going to say even if you're purchasing a block or mem- it's not membership, like the, the package for the season, year. Season tickets. Yeah, something like that where it's like, oh, like you can do it in tiers. Like if you buy three tickets and then you get to choose your shows or five tickets and you get to choose your shows and you get a discount, it's something. But is it still enough that if six months from now I lost my job and I was like, dang it, I spent so much money that I could have saved. Literally, there's so many aspects to it that are just like not accessible to the average person. Jay, it is interesting though that you bring it up in terms of scheduling because when I was growing up, my family did the symphony season passes. So we did like five or six symphony shows a year. So I wonder like that's kind of where I get multi-month planning because I'm just kind of used to that. And going back to childhood and things like my school every year for fourth and fifth graders, you had the option. They, I mean, everyone couldn't go, but the thing is they never actually all got used up to go to either the Nutcracker or go to the opera. So all kids got the opportunity to go to one you couldn't you couldn't go to both if you went to one, one year you couldn't go to the next year but like who like hearing like comparing like elementary school stories and thinking about this with other kids it's like how many people get the opportunity through their school system to just like do that and like living in like more metropolitan areas getting to like have that experience so mm-hmm. young so frequently like I didn't I didn't realize not every kid like went to the museums like went to the theater with their school for like their arts program mm-hmm. did they teach you theater at etiquette before you went or like ballet etiquette no people fell asleep and i was really bad i was really offended people <laughs> fell asleep. as you should be yes. i was so annoyed i was like even then i was like an amazing opportunity I did almost fall asleep at the opera because the reading the subtitles made me feel like I was at a movie. I didn't, but opera opera's a little bit harder for me. But also, like, in my opinion, opera is like the most pretentious of them all. That's what I loved about taking Italian because the first time I went to the opera after that, wait, I don't have to read as much. <laughs> Score. <laughs> that is a plus. It's a lot of reading. Angela, although you similarly are not like a performer, what musical or show like got you into like, like not was your first show, but like what show like I like doing this, like I want to do this. I want to see these. Oh, would you like me to go first? Oh, yes, you might need to go first. So growing up, I saw like a few shows that like weren't like really weren't really at like when I saw Hairspray, I was like, oh, Zac Efron's not in the theater productions. I was like, (laughs) but like, I think like I think for like a lot of young girls, I don't care how basic it is when I saw Wicked, like that changed everything for me. Oh, yeah. Glinda in the bubble. Glinda coming down in the bubble. The music. I love like the female storyline. I love the friendship. I love I also like love hearing kind of like taking a story, not changing a story, but it's like taking a story you know and then like shifting it slightly. Like hearing a different perspective, hearing it for um I remember in the whatever whatever I think it's the first act where they do one short day and like you see them going to the Emerald City, like everything and like the bright changed. Like, it was just so great. It took me to realize Mm. the one thing about theater that was, like, a little bit difficult is I didn't realize that, like, the people in the uniforms were supposed to be, like, like the small people because, like, (laughs) everyone's tall because we're real humans. So, like, the sizes, like, like, I didn't realize. I'm like, oh, like, someone's like, oh, like, they're supposed to be, like, small. I'm like, oh, I didn't catch that because some of the small people were, like, (laughs) 5'9". 
Yeah, that was actually a thing in my early days of theater was um, I got to play the children parts for a lot longer because I'm a <laughs> short individual, um, but was like old enough to read music and take basic directions. And there's some rule like in uh, like professional productions, you need to be like a foot or two. I think it's like two feet shorter than the adults because audiences just like don't get it if you have a tall child just doesn't make sense <laughs> oh very lucky for you yeah you're still two great. feet shorter than the adult exactly <laughs> could never be a disney princess though it's all right the costumes look uncomfortable that's true and hot no i think i think it was probably one of my first stage productions i think it was annie because mm-hmm. i saw a lot of movie musicals growing up especially the old ones like my fair lady and funny girl and like super old like seven brides for seven brothers so Oof, like problematic yeah <laughs> but Aunt Annie was the first one that I truly enjoyed because I felt like I could relate to it because I was like here are these kids running around just like singing their hearts out yeah I was like I can do that can't do that can't sing at all but I don't know it was just it was great to see and then I think the, sta- the stage production did the really big the fire ladder scene where she climbs up the the fire engine so like that was incredibly oh, yeah. dramatic and well, that I- was in the, the like 80s version right yeah that was scary i remember being scared of that as a little kid oh yeah yeah no but grace Um, what's yours oh wait you already told us what yours was of the two annie movies did you guys grow up on the kathy bates or the carol brunette one i only like the carol brunette one the kathy bates one i i saw after i was like i don't like it as much i think i did see the 1999 one first probably like when it came out but you know can't beat the original i don't even know how i feel like it might have been like one of like abc's like movie nights that i saw it i don't even remember how I saw the original movie. I feel like I remember them showing it when I was a kid or if you had like the, what is it, the Turner Classic Movie Channel? Mm-hmm. Grace, if you had to create your own musical. Hey, hey, hey let's oh. manifest this correctly. Grace, when you create... <laughs> Okay, yeah. when you create your own musical that brings you to a James Corden level of fame where you are brought into carpool karaoke to do the crosswalk, what does he call it? Crosswalk, crosswalk musicals. Crosswalk musical, yes. Oh, yeah. When you are brought in for that, what is this musical going to be about and who besides you is going to be in it? Oh my god. Oh, fuck, I didn't prep an answer for this one. Oh. <laughs> Dang, like a musical for me to be the star of? Yes. Um, I don't know. I I want to like selfishly be like, <laughs> it'll be an autobiographical movie <laughs> about my life. And we'll just go through, you know, there'll be one song called The Curse of the J-Named Ex-Boyfriends. Ooh, you, oh get God, all and, um... <laughs> you can get all of the actors you want. All oh, the- yeah. So many oh, my gosh. I mean – yeah, I, I I mean, if we're going to go down that route, then yes, I would just want to cast like all my like childhood celebrity crushes like Zac Efron will have to play one of my exes uh, just to grossly over exaggerate how attractive any of them were. Jamie wait, Jordan, wait, can you Aaron cast Vate. Taylor Sakar Perez? Well, yes. Oh, my God. Angela, we've been over this. Yeah, but there's one, but he could look kind of like one of her exes. That is so offensive. I don't think that's offensive. I don't. It's not inherently offensive. But yeah. What about you guys? Would you want to, I guess my question is, would you want to do a movie or a musical 
about your life and who would play you Gemma Chan I can see that I can definitely see that um oh to I don't be know fair I have the least of the three of us I have the least famous people to pick from that is true we talked about that in another episode fair um you guys can actually settle debate because this was brought to me at work a couple months ago do I look like Dakota Johnson because I really want to say no it's the eyes I could like maybe kind of see like some features but like on the whole no I don't think so Okay, cool. That's what I thought. Because I was going to, because if you guys said yes, then I would say Dakota Johnson, and I don't believe it, but I guess. Dakota Johnson, another one who comes from a very, very reputable family line. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes, she does. I can't tell you who the other actors are, but I know she does. Same with uh, Zoe Deschanel. Same with everybody. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow. Fonda's. Oh, yeah. Yep. In terms of looking more like me, I would say Camila Mendez, but ideally mm-hmm. Selena Gomez because I like her hair. Ooh. No, Jay, I saw your- have curly hair? No, but Camila Mendez and I, we have a very similar face shape and she's short, whereas Selena Gomez is very tall and has the hair. Not very tall, but she's taller than me. Could go Camila Cabello. She's hot right now. We started the Ooh. Cinderella movie. Have oh you seen God. it? Have you guys finished it? Yes. We didn't finish me it. Me and Nate and Cassidy uh, had some wine and watched it and it was hilarious. We didn't get, we didn't finish it. Oh, you don't need to. So I say it's like Amazon tried to make a Baz Luhrmann movie without Baz Luhrmann. That's such an accurate description. Correct. It gave me knockoff Ella Enchanted vibes. Oh yeah. I mean, it was just really awkward because they've done so many Cinderella adaptations and you know, it's the, it's the singing and audition song that everybody's already heard before kind of thing where it's like everybody is playing in their head the rendition that they like the best and it was not better than any of them so well especially for me when they did somebody to love I was like oh I know Ella Enchanted if you're gonna do a Cinderella one like Ella Enchanted already did the song like the generation of like knowing it I also had like the Glee version stuck in my head after that in general I felt like it was like a really long bad episode of Glee (laughs) (laughs) no I out of everything to come out of the half that we saw, I really like Billy Porter. Oh, yeah. I love the random little am I wrong scene. Oh, that was so uncomfortable. I got They're so all just so dramatic and nothing's really happening. Yeah, nothing happened. The am I wrong scene. The, where they say am I wrong, the Nico. Nico and Vince. Oh, yeah. I'm so confused why that song started when she was sketching. I was like, did something bad happen? Did I miss it? No, everyone just had a moment of contemplation. <laughs> I felt like the costumes were good, too. Well, Amazon money. I feel like, if anything, Amazon might have been better turning it into maybe like a mini series and they could have done Cinderella and then Cinderella 2 and Cinderella 3 mm. and given us maybe a live action culmination of that. We'll get you on the phone with Jeff Bezos. I'm sure he's 100% was very hands on with the making of that movie. <laughs> he needed something to watch from space. And Cinderella is what we all go for. Oh, I'm still waiting for that Wicked movie to come out. Oh, God. So apparently the Wicked movie has been in talks since 2004. How much could they have to negotiate? Who plays the witches? I mean, also like... Idina Menzel and Christopher. Why not? They're they're too old. They're, yeah, it's supposed to be like 18 year olds. Oh, that's true. Because there's a whole like, the trouble with schools is they always try to teach the wrong lessons. That's really awkward when you're 45. I feel like also Wicked is such like, a beloved 
show and like the Wizard of Oz movie was like so big like figuring out a way to like make it to satisfy all of like the potential earnings yeah I think so too and I think now there's just like so much build up the pressure is really high I feel like if anything they should have just left the movie rights intact finished that first and then worked on the Broadway production it would have been awesome to have like a Hamilton version of Wicked that we could all watch on Disney plus I'd be fine with a pro shot. That would be awesome. Grace, have you ever been, I don't know if it's the New York Library or not, but I heard that there there are archives, like every Broadway show ever in like, I don't know if it's the New York Library or where, but you can go and watch like any show. You can't take it out with you, but like you can sit and watch like every show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there are some at the New York Public Library, um, but it's like, there's also like a separate place that is literally just like videos of like, yeah, archived Broadway performances. And definitely when I was in school, that was like part of my homework was uh to sit there for hours on end and watch shows it was very hard you know terrible work but yeah I, i think the only thing that makes it hard is you can't take them out you have to watch them there in the library but yeah technically you can see whatever you want it is like just like a single shot in the back of the theater though. So you'd be watching it the way you would watch it like from the orchestra. It's not like, you know, a pro shot, but still cool. If you could go back in time and see any like OBC of any show ever, like the like opening night show, what would you pick? Oh, I kind of want to say Rent because that was such an iconic moment in just like musical theater history. Um, and also the writer of the show died that night. So it was like massively a big deal. For those who are less informed, why was Rent such a big moment in musical theater history? It kind of changed the way that we write modern musicals. Before then, the idea of kind of having musicals set in modern times, that musical was written in 1999, and it was set in 1999. It was about the millennium, and it included rock music, and it included swearing, and it was grungy, and it was very much not this, like, you know, purified sort of golden age style big band musical that we had previous to that and it inspired a lot of Lin-Manuel's work as well as many other artists um, who've written what we kind of think of now as modern musical theater. Jay, do you have one you really want to see right now? Like any show I want to see now? Any show you want to see right now. I would literally take any show right now. (laughs) The way we're going. Well, you guys can come out to New York at any time. Come see my show we will absolutely our network this year like of people in new york has like grown exponentially not that we really yeah my friends in la moved back to new york well they were in new york and then they moved to la and then they moved back to new york a few other people so we're we're definitely gonna need to make a bigger trip because we were thinking just a few days but i think a bigger trip is called for yes pranisha and marisol are here and they literally stayed for a month i feel like so many people did that this summer yeah i mean it's partially because in new york airbnbs are not legal so in order to get one you have to essentially sublease and the minimum amount of time to do that is a month Mm. um so it ends up just literally being easier and cheaper to stay for four weeks we'll have to look into that to wrap this episode up grace for novice either musical theater people wanting to kind of explore like what's a good what's a good either cast recording to listen to or a good movie musical or movie that was a play to like dip your toe in 
depends on what you like. If you are one of those people who think like, oh, I don't like musicals because I don't like musical theater music, then I would look at Rent, Hamilton, oh, I hit my mic, Spring Awakening even. These are all sort of like rock, contemporary, pop musicals. Um, If you like Golden Age stuff, which is like the sort of like 60s Sinatra sound, look at like West Side Story or Hello Dolly, anything in the kind of 50s and 60s, gorgeous scores across the board. And yeah, I think just bop around, see what you like. I think musical theater gets pigeonholed into being one thing, but it can literally be any genre of music. You could do a like death metal musical. I'm sure they exist somewhere. Uh, American Idiot, which is literally like, yeah, yeah, Green Day. Um, And right now what's really popular is jukebox musicals. Um, So it's, yeah, it's just reimaginings of existing bodies of work, which I think is introducing a lot of people to musical theater for the first time. If they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if I like musicals, but I know I like the Beatles or I know I like Jersey Boys. So maybe I'll see it for that reason. And on that note, thank you for listening to In Omnia Paratus. And thank you very much, Grace, for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. Do you have any current projects that you want anyone to know about? Any places that they should be looking for new content, Zoom or in person? Taking a strict break right now because I'm exhausted from doing shows. Good for you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Your girl's booked and busy. Um, Uh, yes, people can follow me on Instagram at Grace C. McLaughlin or my website, which is GraceCMcLaughlin.com. That's where you'll find any and all information about upcoming shows. Um, I can say for sure I'm going to be in the pilot season of a new um, uh, like singing competition show called Vocal Match, as well as a murder mystery musical uh, that I think is going to be out summer 2020. Two called The Yachting Class. And I just wrapped up a film adaptation of Medea. Uh, so keep an eye out for those things. You're so professional. I love Thank it. So <laughs> I try. I, I got to get the people hyped, you know, somehow. Send us, send us the posters. We'll promote you too. Yes, I will. And you guys too. Send you out for the podcast award stuff. Jeez. Oh my god. <laughs> they exist. I've seen them. They do. They do. That's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that grows because I think they were pretty new as of last year. When we all get famous, we can look back on this. I remember when we were part of the little people. Oh, <laughs> can't wait. And we'll get invited to the fashion shows and I won't just have to stand outside. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Vanity Fair Oscar party. For me, me Met top Gala. of the list is Met Gala's top of the list for me. Like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, do you think that they only let the people who are wearing the outfits in, or there's like other? Yeah. So people? the way the Met Gala works is you can't even just buy your way into it. You get invited to spend between twenty five and fifty thousand dollars donating to the Met to attend. And then, yeah, it goes by table. And then depending on, like, if you go with a designer, like, they'll dress you or you'll, like, go to a designer, like, the other way. But, yeah, you get invited to spend money, twenty-five dollars to $50,000 to attend this. God, no wonder the Met is so fucking nice. <laughs> and free to the public, right? Uh, it is not. It's not. It is, uh, I thought it was donation-based. Is that not? Is that, is that MoMA or something? Pay what you can for New York residents. Okay. But for tourists, it's expensive. 
Okay, then we'll just go gossip girl and I'll just sit on the stairs. <laughs> That's really the only totally important cool. part. <laughs> Don't forget to rate, follow, and download on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead will follow. So head on over to at in Omniapod on Instagram and let us know what you'd like to hear about in the comments. Bye. Did you have it memorized that time? No. Wow. Wait, what was the the coffee bowl thing? You didn't say the coffee bowl bit. <laughs> I did. I did drop the coffee bowl bit, but we. I'm going to bring it back on Instagram in our phase two. Got it. Got it.